This is Old Movies for Young Stoners, the podcast where weed is a gateway drug to classic cinema. What we do in this and every episode is take a couple of films, talk about them a bit, and then pair them with the right kind of cannabis to enhance your trip through movie history. In this episode, we explore what may be the trippiest of all movie genres with a little bit of musical madness. Yes, the movie musical, where everyone bursts into song and music just plays from the fucking sky or something with no need for explanation. It's like the world is a flash mob, only everyone knows how to dance. First up, we've got Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra as a couple of horny sailors on leave in the Big Apple in the fabulous and surreal On the Town from MGM in 1949. And then we have lots of dicks and boobs and Ringo Starr playing the Pope in British madman Ken Russell's Listomania from 1975. It's the classic Technicolor musical versus tripped out 70s hedonism. Which one is weirder? It might not be the obvious choice, but whichever way you cut it, Roger Daltrey's giant dick is going into the guillotine. All right here on Old Movies for Young Stoners. And we're back on Old Movies for Young Stoners. I'm Bob Calhoun, author of The Murders That Made Us, A True Crime History of San Francisco, featured recently on American History TV on C-SPAN. Yeah, I've been on the span, folks. And joining me are fellow C-SPAN veteran, Corey Sklar of the punk rock Hollywood Graveyard Doer. Look it up on Instagram. And actor and voiceover artist, Felina Franklin. You could see her in the new movie for young stoners, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Before we get into our opening talk, I'd like to take a moment to pay tribute to my friend, Judo Jean LaBelle, martial arts master, pro wrestler, and Hollywood stuntman. In 2002, I was a freelance writer who published a few articles here and there, nothing longer than 2,000 words, but Gene gave me the chance to help him write his autobiography, The Godfather of Grappling, my first book. I went on to write three after that, and I owe it all to this total badass with the soul of a Catskills comic. Gene taught Roddy Piper how to wrestle and taught Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, Bob Wall, and Ronda Rousey how to break arms, but he taught me how to write. Other people got their black belts from him, but co-writing his book was my MFA. Gene died on August 9th in Los Angeles, and I miss him already. If you're listening, Gene, and I don't know why you would be with all the awesome people you have to talk to right now, but if you are listening, thank you. And so, another sun rises over fabulous and mighty Manhattan, where visitors by thousands seek out historical landmarks on its placid streets. People from out of town love its many quaint and secluded eating places. The big city's well-known hospitality to its guests is famous the world over. And particularly sailors on leave find intellectual freedom in its many cultural points of interest. 
And as this is a story of New York, we naturally begin it in Brooklyn. <laughs> New York, a wonderful town. The Bronx is up and the battery's down. The people ride in a hole in the ground. New York, New York, it's a wonderful town. Gene Kelly left Broadway for Hollywood in 1941 with a drive to transform the cinematic language of dance by combining the panache of the American hoofer with the refinement of ballet. Already pushing 30 at the time, he realized he had only a few years before he'd lose the athleticism needed to accomplish his lofty goal. While his earlier films, such as For Me and My Gal and Anchors Away, established him as a bankable star, our first film began his trilogy of masterpieces that also includes An American in Paris and Singing in the Rain. In our movie today, Kelly, Frank Sinatra, and Jules Munchen are three lusty sailors with 24 hours of shore leave in the Big Apple, and Betty Garrett, Ann Miller, and Vera Ellen are a trio of take-charge ladies who are going to show them a good time. Together, they destroy a brontosaurus fossil at the Museum of Anthropological History, hit the nightclubs, and run from cops. With catchy tunes, groundbreaking ballets, and innovative location shooting, the Bronx is up and the battery's down. From MGM in 1949, this is On the Town. We had a little bit of a stag this week. I sent out an email saying we were switching from On the Town to the Pirate, but nobody got the memo. So we're we're sticking with on the town, folks. So so uh Corey, no, we got we got the memo. We just got stoned and forgot, we right, Philander? Forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, but we I both forgot and this and did the same mistake, so it works out. Yeah. It's great. This is what podcasting's yeah. all about. Because uh, I definitely remember reading the email and being like, got it. And then I got high and was like, oh shit, what are the movies? On the town and and uh Listomania? Cool. Yep, I did the exact same series of of thoughts, and it, so it works Great. out. Great, yeah. <laughs> it must be the weed in Los Angeles right now. It's, it's all good. you're it's all good. up. You're all synced up with the L.A. weed. So climate change is causing oh. the THC to uh, percentages to go skyrocket. So yeah, we are oh, fucked yeah. up right now. <laughs> so okay, uh, had either of you seen on the town before? No. No. I oh my god. Okay. So this was, I had so much fun watching this movie. Um, Frank Sinatra, I I love, first of all, I love all of the women in, in this movie. All of the women aren't desperate. They just want relationship. They just want to bone. And that's it. And that's, I love that. Um, I feel like, I just, I feel like it's so fun. Um, and yeah, I had a, I just had a lot of fun. all of the music was so um amazing. Prehistoric Man was such an insane song. <laughs> um I mean, I it's it's from the the late 40s. So, you know, there's definitely some spots where it's like, all right, this is uh, this is a racist. Um but it's like, you know, it's the 40s. So, it's like I feel like it's light racism for the time, or at least for like what I've seen from other movies from that era. This is what this show is all about: old movies for young stoners. Because this is a movie I'd never ever turn on on my own and watch on my <laughs> own. And uh, yeah, from the first scene where they're in the uh, Brooklyn shipyard, where it, 
I can't. It looks like they're really there. I, sometimes I can't tell when they're really in the city and when they're in a yeah. stage, but I think they're really in the Brooklyn shipyard there. And um, from that moment, I was in 100%. I'm like, oh, this is the song from The Simpsons. That's my uh, context. Um, the New York, New York. Yeah, like you said, Felina, Frank Sinatra, who I don't love and who I often think about is like a lazy performer who just phones it in, right? Because that's my Frank Sinatra, who he was when I was growing up. Shows up, goes, thanks, baby, and walks away and does his little <laughs> song. He's singing and dancing his ass off in this and like really putting in a lot of work and <laughs> and having fun doing it. Um, like you said, the 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 women in this, the female leads in this movie. It's like really they're the stars of this movie. They're they're mm-hmm. doing a lot of the heavy lifting here, um, comedy wise, right? And the jokes in this movie completely land to this. Like still, I was cracking up the through this whole movie and the dialogue is very fast and the jokes come at you at a rapid pace and they're good jokes. Okay. So this movie only not only influenced the Simpsons, but I think Prince took his song lady cab driver after watching Mm. this movie, probably. So this is a movie about three sailors, Frank Sinatra, Gene Kelly, and the other one. And, um, and they get to have one day in New York. So they're going to rip shit up and party it up. They go on the subway and they see this poster of this uh, woman. She's like, she's the real New York glamour girl. She's the real New York glamour girl. Ivy Smith. Miss Turnstiles. Miss Turnstiles. Yeah. Which I'm guessing would be like Miss Bart Train 19. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 22 or something like Miss Metro. Yeah. Miss Metro. So like a civic, like dumb campaign kind of thing. So they're like, they're very impressed. But everyone in New York is like, yeah, it's just some dumb thing. But um, they have, it goes right away into this fantasy scene about what a wonderful, amazing woman she is. Right. That was like Red Shoes level sick like virtuosity mm-hmm. da- her dancing vera vera ellen is her name and uh that knocked me out that scene when she's catching a football and she's hopping over men and then she's making coffee and painting like it shows what a uh what a um you know multitasker she is in life and how she's an artsy and she's also an athlete and she's also a great wife anyway it was amazing that totally blew me away i love all the songs in this movie too they're memorable memorable you could sing along i love the one about new york i love the prehistoric man one even though yes it is kind of racist in today's terms but it's so joyful you could look past the racism (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i mean there's a lot of fucked up racist shit and gender shit in this movie but like you know you gotta roll with it sometimes and just watch things in the context and in the context like they actually seem to approach it with a little bit of a sensitive mind especially the gender stuff where like you said the women are empowered to just want to bone and they live by themselves and they have their own jobs and they're doing their own thing you know um but that prehistoric man song so dope uh is that ann miller as the scientist yeah she uh the setup is you know gene kelly frank sinatra and jules munchen are these three sailors on leave in new york and they're total rubes. Even Sinatra, you know, who's from New Jersey, he in this movie, he's from Poughkeepsie. He's never been to the big city. They're all total rubes. Uh, Gene Kelly has this gimmick where he he has this guidebook 
No, is it Sinatra? Sinatra is the one with the guidebook where he has to see all the sites, but the guidebook's from 1912. So a lot of things aren't there anymore. And yeah, uh, Betty Garrett as Brunhilde the cabbie. She's into Sinatra. And Miller is a scientist at the Museum of Anthropology who decides uh, Ozzy, Jules Munchen, is he, she likes him because he looks like a Neanderthal. She likes and, him because he looks like a Neanderthal. And it's yeah, so she, funny. They're all just hooking up. These these dames are hooking up with sailors, and they know they're going to be gone back on their ship and away to you know the South Pacific or wherever the hell they're going. And um, this yeah, movie promotes it, hookup culture, by the way. I just want to put that it, out there <laughs> in a totally big way. Like you know, Gene <laughs> Kelly, Gene Kelly, and uh, and Miss Turnstiles are probably going to get married after Gene Kelly gets back, and that. But it's doubtful that any of these other people are really. You know, there's there's new sailors coming in at the very end. There's Bob, new sailors and new Frank, adventures. Frank Sinatra was like the biggest music star at this point, right? Like he was like Elvis at this point. Yeah, yeah. this is yes. like when I watch the cartoons and the and the chicken is being Frank Sinatra. It's like around that time, right? Like he was, he was totally. being so close. So he was so famous. So it's interesting that he ends up hooking up with the kind of like uh, the mouthy, uh, hard-edged cabbie, lady cab driver, right? Because she's so great in this, but she's not like beautiful. She's not like the starlet. So it was interesting. Well, yeah, Gene Kelly and these things and their pairings is always getting the female lead, the the woman lead. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the top uh, woman star of the time. And Frank Sinatra is always paired up with Betty Garrett. Like they have good, great chemistry. Wait, they're in but, other movies together. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah. Funny. <laughs> but IRL, oh, IRL. Um, you know, Sinatra is the one hooking up with, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> you know, having an affair with Laura Bacall while she's married to Bogey, and right. he's uh, Ava Gardner. He's 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 entertaining her as well. He's the one. With the revolving door of all the top starlets, Gene Kelly was like pretty much a married guy and and not yeah. really doing that. So, He's but you so, know, Gene... uh, uh, Frank Sinatra is so likable in this movie. Like, I, gosh, his star power just like oozes through the screen. Mm -hmm. So I, I get it. I get it now. I never really got it before. Um, but there's the song where uh, he's looking through his guidebook and it's outdated, and she's like, "All that shit you want to see is not in New York anymore. You fucking idiot." Um, that song's awesome, right? And she's just trying to get him to go up to to hit her place. That's one of the mm -hmm. coolest. That's one of the best songs I ever seen in any musical. Oh my god! And her roommate, her Lucy. roommate is oh. Poor so girl. that's that's a great cameo. <laughs> Those who grew up watching Nick at Night like me will recognize the roommate as Mrs. Kravitz from Bewitched, and I was really excited to see her, Gladys Kravitz, as the sneezy, dorky, ugly friend. <laughs> <laughs> she plays that so awesome. Um, oh but yeah, God. there there is a song at the end about friendship and how they're each other's pals, and it really hit me really hard. I'm like, this is the greatest song about friendship. But yeah, there's a song about prehistoric men. There's friendship. There's a song about come up to my place because New York and all the shit you want to see in New York isn't there anymore. Um, there's a song about going on the town. <laughs> uh, the, but I really like the music in this. I think it's by Leonard Bernstein, right? Who's uh, just a, I know him from like interviewing Brian Wilson and stuff. I don't know his music that much, but yeah. Um, 
unfortunately i was because uh i switched to the pirate i was all in cole porter land for that movie so i'd have to look it up again who did the songs I, cole porter better songwriter than leonard bernstein but i really enjoyed yeah. the songs in this one yeah uh i'm wrong about betty garrett being paired with sinatra it's she wasn't again it's uh okay I'll it's, cut other, that it's other actresses <laughs> like her so yeah i fucked up there He's always paired with that type. But mm. anyway, um, you know, the joke that really landed for me watching it again, the little gag is they go to all these fancy nightclubs, these oh. like big elaborate mm. nightclubs, but the, every nightclub they go to like a rumba place, a, a Latin, a Latin jazz kind of place. Yeah. Like a Ricky Ricardo to, play, like uh, a Copacabana. And then they go to a Dixie. Go to place. A, uh, uh, a Harlem place, a, a black, a black floor show, an African American floor show, and then they go to an Asian floor show, like a Chinese American floor show. But the floor shows are all exactly the same with the same outro song. Yeah, like, like all of them are exactly it's the so same. Funny. No matter what the motif is, it's the same show, and everybody's just there <laughs> swinging and dancing away. But yeah, that's that's the subtle gag. I mean, a lot of the gags aren't so subtle, but that's one like. I think maybe this was the third time I've seen it. And that was like, oh, my God, like that's this fucking jab at, you know, at the drinks. They're kind of spoofing tiki culture drinks because because Hans Conried is the is the maitre d in the first club. And he's like listing all the different kinds of booze in these elaborate that cocktails. That killed me because tiki and cocktail culture is still the same way where they're just trying to stuff as many ingredients into a drink <laughs> as they can. That killed me where the waiter's like, oh, you want this drink? It's four kinds of rum, prunes, um, an elephant's tusk, and some kosher matzah. And like, it's like so good. Like, oh my God, it's still like that. And then Ann Miller's <laughs> just like, we'll have, get get us, get us six beers. Get us beers, please. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it's Betty Garrett. One of them is like, just get us six beers. Um, but yeah, I have Con Reed in there, you know, coming up as the as the major D in that scene where she bribes man Miller bribes them to get them all into the club and they carry the table and the chairs out there. It's totally in Goodfellas. That, totally. that shot is totally in Goodfellas when the same thing happens with Ray Liotta and Lorraine Bracco, where he bribes to get into the Copacabana. Yeah, totally. Um another way this movie has just been like a part of culture and I just totally missed it until now. You know what I mean? Um, the, uh, uh, the, uh, not only are they so funny and such great dancers and singers and actresses in this movie, um, the women, but, uh, they're total babes too. All three of them. Um, <laughs> True. they're so hot and, uh, they're, they're wearing the coolest clothes. The three sailors, they just kind of wear their dumb sailor outfits the whole time. But, those sailor outfits look amazing. And I have yet to talk about Gene Kelly, who I've never watched on. And, you know, I've just flipped through. I've seen the, the the famous scenes in like documentaries and just like in commercials my whole life. But man, I'm really into watching Gene Kelly dance. Uh, he's incredible. He's just electric and a joy to watch. And I honestly can't wait to watch more Gene Kelly movies now. And that's a sentence I never thought I'd say in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's you know reading his biographies which i i did in preparation for this is he is approaching these movies they seem like the most normal at least for a certain generation the most normal white bread american entertainment but he's approaching it almost like a miles davis he's trying 
to he's striving to revolutionize dance and make dance more refined in film and to he has to separate himself from fred astaire or from the busby berkeley stuff he's bringing on a new era but unlike a musician or a writer or other artists he's got as i said in the intro he's got this limited amount of time where he can physically perform at that level so he has the limitations of an athlete where he's already in his 30s here and he's starting to push 40 by the time we get to this movie and he will go on to do his 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 masterpieces which are an american in paris which was after this and then after that is singing in the rain and so these are like his early albums i'm watching now yeah or maybe (laughs) mid he's really the pirate is the one that just he finally gets to go off and then this is the one that the pirate wasn't such a big from the year before this one was a huge hit and then Mm -hmm. that gives him the clout to do those other two films yeah which american Paris, the ballet is talk about red shoes like uh, i think the pirate influences red shoes but then red shoes influences the, the ballet scene like this closing 15 minute bit mm-hmm. of psychedelia that uh the red shoes is a big influence on that they were very much gene kelly and uh, uh vincent minnelli and the people who made uh, american in paris were very much aware of red shoes and wanted to try to top it so you have this kind of i'm not sure that pal and pressburger were in the competition so much with gene kelly and and his people at mgm but gene kelly was definitely it's like a kind of beach boys beatles kind of competition they right. have going there well it's interesting yeah I, so i guess like um Gene Kelly had buy-in with MGM. They they let him do this, huh? They're like, okay, we'll pump these out for you, Gene, and we'll we'll work. Out. Yeah, watching him is like watching Miles Davis play a horn or John Coltrane or something. And you can tell, like, I don't know anything about dance, and I could just tell how masterful he is. It just was. I can't. I couldn't wait for the next scene with him dancing. It was so cool. I I can't. I I just I fell in love with him and his dancing. I love how all the cops in this movie are dumbasses, a cab all the way. So this movie is an a cab movie, and yeah. um, I don't know. I I just really it was like uh, I really w- loved the journey of these new friends and their night out. I love movies that take place all in one day too. That's my one of my favorite genres. So this is one of the best ones I've ever seen for sure. This is up there with uh, Midnight Madness starring Ed- Eddie Deason. <laughs> And Ferris Bueller and, and all the ones I know. American Graffiti. Um, uh, Ivy Smith calls herself a cooch dancer in this movie, which I never, <laughs> I've never heard that term before. Uh, but I think it means a dancer at like a carnival. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, well, it's 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 uh, it's uh, you know, there's a lot of cooch tent dancers in Roustabout. Yeah, you know, this movie had a very similar en- ending that as Roustabout. There is Roustabout vibes in this. Oh, completely. <laughs> Roustabout wishes it was this, but yeah, no kidding. Right. Yeah, the, the co- <laughs> so the finale of this movie. Uh, sorry for the spoilers, but it's in Coney Island. You get that beautiful shot of the Wonder Wheel. I love when the Wonder Wheel is in movies. Uh, it's in the Warriors. That's how I know it best. But this is, I love movies that uh, end in Coney Island. So there we go. Yeah. Um, there's a great car chase at the end. The car chase is so good. It's like not a bullshit car chase. It's actually exhilarating. And there's a speech at the end 
Um, there's a whole B plot about the, the one of the sailors destroying a dinosaur and having to run from the cops. And there's a very Simpsons-esque impassioned speech at the end from the female leads where they're like, these boys are great. They're, they're, they served our country. They just have good hearts and wanted to have fun in New York. And that's it's so funny. It's like one of the funniest scenes in the movie, in a, in a very extremely funny movie. So um, I loved, I fucking loved On the Town. I, I fell in love with it. And on paper, this is a movie that I would never, ever think I was into because I hate uh, white people music and I hate silly dancing and, <laughs> and I hate racism and all that shit. But I love this movie. <laughs> I got to say uh, the, the transfer I watched on HBO Max was super booty. Like it looked like it was pan and scan. It didn't even take up the whole TV. And oh, it looked, really? Yeah. And it looked well, like no, it, um, it was it was it's shot. Let me see. Make sure. But it's I don't think it was cinescope cinemascope. It's still okay. old enough to be uh, four to three. So, you OK, saw, so I saw the correct saw their, ratio. It's so it's so luscious and, and, and colorful. And it's an AA picture for the time because it's MGM that you you associate it with CinemaScope or Vista or wide right. Screen. I did, yeah. I thought yeah. of wide widescreen, but there's definitely some digital fuckery with the transfer that's on HBO oh. Max. But it doesn't matter. It's such a joyous, uh, it's such a joyous affair to sit through this movie. <laughs> I do want to say, uh, the location, the movie was shot on location, or those opening shots and various other shots in the movie were shot in New York. And Gene Kelly and Arthur Freed, the producer who produced a lot of the big Gene Kelly movies, they really had to fight with Louis B. Mayer for that. Cause he was just like, just shoot it on the back lot. We've got a fake New York on the back lot. Why do you want to go? Why do you artsy artsy dancers all want to go into New York and shoot it? And they had, you know, their MGM, they're the biggest film studio in the world at that time. They're like as big as Disney. Now they're bigger than anybody. Yeah. Um, all the other studios, uh, you know, they looked down on Universal. They looked down on even Warner Brothers and Paramount. Wow. But they had to run and gun those shots, and a lot of those shots were gotten without permission of New York. They were they were literally, and they, these are cameras as big Hell as yeah. washing machines. They're driving around and just just trying to get these shots of Gene Kelly, Sinatra, Munchin wandering around all the sites of New York and cram all those shots. And they gave them like. 10 days to do it or 14 days to do it which i'm you know, sure old blue of... eyes called in a couple favors on that one you know what I mean? oh yeah <laughs> I definitely definitely he probably helped grease the wheels a lot a lot yeah, with, exactly. especially louis b Mayer was like you know there is that scene they they come out of the brooklyn naval yard singing new york new york a wonderful town i'm I'm collecting up uh, sag Springfield, Springfield. Or, you know, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, they, they, they leave. You know, they get out of the Brooklyn Naval Yard, and then this is where MGM cuts quarters. There's this terrible uh, green screen shot of them. You know, with that, that's just not working for a second. It's like it's so. It's obviously something they forgot. Yeah, it's pickup shot. They they forgot to shoot when they were running and gunning around New York, but it was totally guerrilla filmmaking from the biggest uh, movie studio in the world with the biggest stars in the world. And they still had to run and gun because Louis B. Mayer was cheap and did not understand why they wanted to do this, but it makes the film. Yeah. To well, there's um in addition to the, the live shots filmed on location, uh, the, the, the uh, backlot sets are amazing looking. 
they feel great as you know especially during the dance scenes and um there's some like uh what do they call it when they like put the the paint they composite it with the painting those shots they're matte painting the matte painting shots are beautiful in this movie like when ozzy is hanging off the empire state building it looks oh, really oh my cool God. looks awesome it's like i would love a poster of that in my room you know what i mean so that stuff's really cool to look at too um on the town uh the weed i would i smoked during this movie uh was a dome pen this is the this is the brand it's a new dome pen d-o-m-p-e-n collab with sonoma hills farms and it was called double deja vu live resin this was an indica that uh delivers a, a low dosage of high percentage thc it makes you talkative it makes you giggly it makes you silly and uh i so this was just a high thc resin um vape pen and it, they're so cheap they're like 25 bucks these new dome pens with live resin i highly suggest them but if you can't find them in your local dispensary, I do recommend just like a high THC indica to make you so silly and make you just fall in love with the team that made on the town. New York is a wonderful town. <laughs> um, I had this fruit gummy. Um, I had 30 milligrams. Um, there's It's like a 100 milligram gummy and then it's got like little like little pie slices. Um, I will say it's, I got the cherry flavor um, and I will say it did not taste like cherry. It tasted like marijuana. <laughs> um, <laughs> tasted like straight weed. Um, but this is um, an indica. I wish I knew. Oh, it's vegan. Love. Um, <laughs> I wish I knew more stats about it. But oh my god! No F R O O T nope. fruit. That's the brand. I love fruit. that brand. Yeah, it's so good. Yes. They're, yeah. Um, and like, if they can make vegan gummies, why don't? Why aren't all gummies just vegan? Why do you have to put horse hooves in in them? Come on, let's not no, do that, everybody. Literally. Gross. Seriously, no more hooves. Yeah, we don't. Um, need hooves. but this is it was good. Um, I this is yeah. It was also I also had an indica. Um, I don't know what the like. I don't know what the but I had 30 milligrams. It was great. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. so it was it was great watch. Um, they kicked in. Um, I took them like 30 minutes before I started the movie. They kicked in like right when they were like New York, New York. Um, and <laughs> oh, so right away then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like it was like a perfect, perfect sink into my couch and just like watch experience. It was great. And now for the TikTok report with Felina Franklin. <laughs> okay, thank you for the intro. Um I love I love this. I love this new setup. <laughs> okay. So I uh I looked up uh on the town 1949. And I found, you know, I found a couple of clips of them just kind of like singing specifically New York, New York. Some of the comments were really great. Um, the first one that I saw was, and people wonder why the Navy has a gay old image. Um, that was by user Sam Petrelgia. 
Um, and <laughs> I, yeah, I guess so. Um, someone says the girls are dressed like the Heathers. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then I saw this other TikTok about how it was really progressive um, and how the original on the town had a integrated dance ensemble, specifically black and white people dancing together on stage in 1944. I believe this was this not about the movie, but it's about the uh, um, about on Broadway. This was based um, on a play. Yeah. Yeah. Based yeah. on a play. There is a scene where Gene Kelly's character dances with a black woman. And Louis yeah. B. Mayer, that old racist son of a bitch, uh, said no way. Now mm. he was he was only marginally okay with Gene Kelly dancing with the Nicholas brothers, the African American brothers who were the best dancers, Gene Kelly or no, the best dancers ever on 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 an American movie, on in a Hollywood movie. He dances, he you know, it's it's how uh it's how racism and and racism and hatred can make something even more homosexual because it's okay for Gene to dance with two fellas, two black dudes, but <laughs> yeah. uh, but even then, Louis B. Mayer was like, you know, we're gonna lose some theaters in the South over this, and it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's but yes, the the original play does have a dance scene, and Gene Gene was up for it, but they all went along because the owner of the studio, the Walt Disney of MGM, was mm-hmm. like, no way no way we aren't going to do this so mm-hmm. um and then i also had a couple more comments basically just talking about how hot gene kelly is he's he is scorching in this he is so he's, good looking he's, he's, he's scorching in this yes i'm sorry i you know <laughs> he is so good looking in this movie uh he is definitely the most good looking male lead in this movie as they would say on TikTok, he put his whole Gene Colussi in this. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> wow. It's not something I ever thought I'd hear. <laughs> and that was the TikTok report with Felina Franklin. <laughs> Brought to you by Canopy. No, they haven't given us any money, but they do like our tweets once in a while, so that's good enough for now. Canopy, a free streaming service available through participating public libraries. Ask your local librarian about Canopy. After I watched the movie, I did look up some uh, reviews that were contemporary to the time uh, this came out, and it did seem like it was um, universally loved Uh New York Times in particular said that it was just like what it was what you and I said, Felina. It's like it's such a joy to sit through. So I guess this has always been the consensus of this movie. There were a couple bad reviews that said the songs aren't memorable and it was just like um it was just like forgettable pap, but uh mostly well loved. I refuse to believe that everybody else didn't have prehistoric man stuck in their head after this Um, new york new york or new york uh, new york whatever the song's really called uh i'm pretty sure it's called new york new york that's what it says on the what a heck of a town (laughs) the you know the bronx is up the batteries down man sure is yeah (laughs) on the town is now streaming on hbo max a once proud video empire brought asunder by a basic cable network that can't find ghosts, even though they've been trying for nearly 20 years. HBO Max, enjoy (laughs) it while it's there.
I'm Allison Anders, and this is Trailers from Hell. We're going to have a look at a trailer for one of my favorite films, Listomania, by Ken Russell. It stars Roger Daltrey, who Russell worked with previously in Tommy. And it was not the first movie Russell had ever done about classical composers. He had also done one of my favorite films, Music Lovers, about Tchaikovsky with Richard Chamberlain. And I had always thought that that Ken Russell had named his film Listomania as a play on Beatlemania. Well, in fact, Beatlemania was a play on Listomania. This was actually a phrase from 1841. It was actually a term coined to refer to the hysteria, the female hysteria, over Franz Liszt, the composer. Women were wild for this guy. They were completely thrown into hysteria over his piano playing and his good looks. They not only screamed over him at concerts and chased him down the street, just like the Beatles and every other rock idol since, but they also went for locks of his hair. If he broke a piano string at a concert, they would fight over it, just like a piece of a guitar. They actually wore brooches with his face painted on them. They would create their own pins. So he not only had all of that, but he also had, uh, of course, all the groupies a guy could ever have dreamed of having in the 1800s or even now. He also had a few children with these groupies out of wedlock, which was a big deal then, and uh, got into a lot of trouble with the church. And he ended up leaving it all behind and becoming a monk himself. And believe it or not, this is all in this movie. Before Elvis, before the Beatles, there was Franz Liszt, a long-haired 19th century Hungarian composer who sent young women into fits of hysterical ecstasy when he hit the opening chords to his Hungarian Rhapsody Number no. 2. Descriptions of this listomania, or list fever at the time, of his 1844 Paris concerts aren't all that different in essence from the flip psychological takes on BTS stands that you'll find in the New York Times today. In 1975, director Ken Russell and rock idol Roger Daltrey, fresh off the success of the film version of The Who's Tommy that same year, set out to tell the story of List's fame and fans through a rock opera lens. The result is a rhapsody of bare breasts, giant phalluses, and more anachronisms than even Baz Luhrmann dared to attempt in his hit Elvis biopic. Adding to the delirium, you've got the lead singer of The Who being enveloped by a giant vagina and German composer okay. Richard Wagner portrayed as a machine gun-toting Nazi Frankenstein's monster who can only be defeated by the power of Daltrey's love rocket with Ringo Starr as the Pope and Rick Wakeman of Yes, who also provides the prog Rocky score as the God of Thunder Thor in a portrayal that surely doesn't fit in with Disney's MCU branding strategies. This is Listomania. I've always wanted to see this movie. So thank you, Bob, for scheduling it this week. So I had a reason to watch it. And I am, I, I can't believe I haven't seen this before because I am the rock opera king. I love Rocky Horror. I love Phantom of the Paradise. I love Jesus Christ Superstar. I love Hedvig and the Angry Inch. I could sing you every lyric and every one of those things. So it's funny that I've never seen Listomania. 
And I've I've always kind of heard that it was not great. Um, I've seen a couple Ken Russell movies, namely Tommy, uh, which I don't really love. Altered States, which again, it's like I don't really love, but I, you know, there's aspects about it I love. And then The Devils, which I actually really love. But Ken Russell, he is frustrating because he has these amazing visuals and these amazing uh, ideas and they're completely bonkers like Baz Luhrmann. But then there's something always falls short and uh, it just never compels me. And I never want to watch Altered States again or Tommy again, for instance. If Tommy's on TV, I'll flip around. Um, so I was excited to watch this, though, because this was supposed to be the fucking craziest one. And I love Roger Daltrey. I love Ringo. Uh, and I love Franz Liszt. So this movie opens up with a pair of rude titties. So I'm like, I'm in. And uh, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. But it does this thing right away where it goes into some super British Benny Hill shit, right? There's like um, Franz Liszt is having an affair. Uh, and uh, the husband comes in. And then it becomes like a Benny Hill type fight. And like this is, for some reason, British people in the 60s and 70s just had to always bring it back to like this Benny Hill shit, this like Tin Pan Alley, like did he get to do it like old timey music thing? And this movie does that nonstop. Like it's like it's like Maxwell Silver Hammer on um, uh, Let It Be or something. You know what I mean? It's like oh, Paul always had to go back and do that old timey grandpa stuff. So um, I, I really like Roger Daltrey. Oh my God, his ass is also in the first scene, and it, he has the greatest butt I've ever seen in my life. Um, this is the movie. This is an episode for great male butts. I mean, Gene Kelly and Roger Daltrey. There's, this there's is the definitely a lot for people that appreciate the human male physique in this episode. Another thing that struck me with this movie, watching it right away, I'm like, oh my god, they must have a huge budget for this movie. So I guess Tommy was super successful, right? So something like that. And then they they gave Ken Russell free reign because the sets are crazy. There's tons of talent. There's tons of people in this movie dressed to the nines. Um, it's insane. This is supposed to be Listomania, right? Franz Liszt, rock star, the first rock star. People are going crazy. So there is this opening scene with him having a concert where all the teenage girls are going crazy. And then it, like, falls short. Like, he's not that dope in the concert. And I'm like, okay. And then that's all we ever see of Listomania for the rest of the movie. So I feel like it didn't really sell me on why List was so dope and amazing, which I thought. I was going to see, you know what I mean? I thought they were kind of going to tell me in this movie. It then goes into this like Charlie Chaplin tribute about how List fell in love. And I got it. I got the metaphor and stuff. And I'm, I understand that this is based on real things that happen. Um, and then it's just his journey through meeting Wagner and Wagner's rise to like this Nazi-esque power. And it's so surreal and it's so crazy. Uh, there's a scene... Um, when list goes to go play in russia i think and he's like he's having an affair with this, some aristocratic lady over there who she's the devil and she like has the giant vagina this is the giant penis scene right uh felena what did you think of that giant penis i thought it looked bad the giant <laughs> well um i <laughs> well, I, well he, he first walks into like the chambers and then there's yeah. these giant penises everywhere. Those like Roman pillars. I love those looked awesome. I loved the penis columns. The penis, penis columns pillars. were incredible. Yes. Yeah, I agree. But then when he when he like grows a giant penis, I'm like, oh, that looks like his a... giant penis is <laughs> awful. I don't like his giant penis, but the golden giant penis is solid. So right, I agree with you. But this scene does this thing. Okay, so I once that that 
I'm selling my soul to the devil who's this woman with the vagina that engulfs me. That scene was so incredible. It, like, knocked me out. And then it goes into the fucking Benny Hill old-timey shit again, where it's like, and I'm like, why does every British thing from the 1670s have to go into this Benny Hill old-timey shit? And it really killed the vibe. And you know who else does that? Rick Wakeman's albums do that, too. Um, like, if you listen to the King Arthur album or the Six Wives of Henry the Eighth album, or Journey to the Center of the Earth, it's like this sick synth prog. And then it always goes down. I mean, ding, ding, like this ragtime stuff. Always. So, like, Queen these... albums from back then do that. Queen. The, the Queen you, know, al- you kind of expect it from them, but yeah. they do that. You but, know? like, as British, cool British musicians always had to go to their grandpa music for some reason. And I hate it so much. <laughs> um, I think it's because of Skiffle, because they all started in those Skiffle bands, which that's what those bands were. And it was really hot. Like You're in the right. 60s, yeah. And then they all decided they liked rock and roll and became rock bands. You know, that's what happened with the Beatles and probably the Stones and. Even over here, the Grateful Dead started as a fucking skiffle band. That's so true. You know what? You're that. you're right. It's 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 what like maybe like Elvis music is to me. It's like that's what that was to them. So they have to like tr- even like I don't know maybe disco is to me or something because music moved really fast back then. But here here's on paper this movie should be amazing for me personally because I love psychedelic shit. I love sex shit. I love um, rock operas. I love Roger Daltrey. I love surrealism, but it doesn't work. And I'll say, like, for me, it didn't work. The story was so jumbled and so confusing that if unless you knew the life of Franz Liszt, then none of this would make sense. You know what I mean? And I don't think adding this surreal modernism to these real biographical stories automatically makes them cool or compelling to sit through. Like I would say like Marie Antoinette by Sofia Coppola is the same way just because it's like as this like cool 2000s like I, disconnection. I don't care to Marie Antoinette like didn't make it good for me. Um, uh, the Jews are, are portrayed pretty anti-Semitic in this movie and all the Wagner Nazi stuff. And Wagner's played by this actor Paul Nicholas who was way bigger in England than he was here. And he played Jesus and Jesus Christ Superstar in the West End and stuff. And he was in a pop, but like he was very good at Wagner. And Roger Daltrey is really good and likable, but he just, he, I don't know. I love Roger Daltrey. He doesn't have the star power that that I, I wished he did. The, the songs are definitely not memorable. I couldn't sing you one lyric from this movie. I don't remember any songs from this movie. And I'm sure they're probably based on like Franz Liszt themes or something. And I, like I said, I love Rick Wakeman and I didn't, I didn't, none of it was memorable to me. The clothes and the sets are incredible. This is one of those movies that you like play on the background while you play at a punk club or something. You play it behind your band, but it's pretty difficult to sit through. Um, it was really cool to see Nell Campbell from Rocky Horror in this movie. Uh, and this so weird. This came out the same year as Rocky Horror. And just think about those two movies and think about which one had the st- staying power, right? Obviously, Rocky Horror had way lower of a budget, one set to work on. But the songs are just so good that it it lasted and it lived. And this one like is just kind of a curiosity. Um, so, yeah, like I said, this should work for me on paper amazing look amazing cast 
but ultimately the jokes don't land like all the dick stuff is like kind of juvenile the story ends up jumbled and confusing you can't sing and remember any of the tunes so the visuals alone don't save this thing for me that being said it's super stony and in fact it might be less stony and more cokey it might be more of a (laughs) cocaine movie but um, i'm really glad i saw it and i think it's an important document of fucking how berserk and batshit crazy uh filmmakers were allowed to be in the 70s and i'm glad it exists i'm glad it's made but it it i think it's a failed experiment for me personally and um yeah i uh i didn't love listomania i probably won't see it again um but everyone should see it once that's what i think what about you felina i agree i'm i'm glad i saw it i my dad was hyping it up almost like almost a little too much so i was like i had really high hopes um but it was it was fun for sure i had a lot of like fun watching it i got confused a lot because i i just i didn't understand like timeline wise like what was going on like i feel i was like i was really confused um like i felt like the transitions were kind of too seamless so i didn't know like what was happening when um and uh i but yeah i loved the like visuals were like really fun i this is definitely like you're throwing like a party like a some kind of a party and you just like put it on the put this on the tv and play a record um like on top of it it's one of those but it's i mean it's really cool i am yeah i am glad i watched it i also could not i couldn't tell you any of the songs that were sung um <laughs> i but i personally don't have like a problem with like bing getting getting like old timey like the that I like i don't know what i i know you hate i don't i don't mind it as much oh british i feel like it's it's very british but it's like it's like like oh you know that's that's just that's just their thing they like to do it, <laughs> it um thing. but it was yeah i also um I did not recognize any like I didn't recognize that um the guy was from the who um because I hadn't seen a picture of the who before. It's okay. <laughs> That's what this fine. show's all about. That's yeah, what this show's all fine. about. What you th- what you think what you think of him as a lead though? Do you think he was compelling? I think his well, voice sounds great in this movie. His voice does sound great. Um I thought that he was well my what I thought was happening was that they just cast a handsome man. I thought they just casted like some like handsome, handsome guy with long hair. And uh, that was it. And then I was like, oh, that makes sense that he isn't an actor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah. he he doesn't, he doesn't have the lead power that I was hoping to see. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, In a way. I don't know. He's 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 not Mick Jagger. He's not David Bowie. Yeah. He's Roger Daltrey. <laughs> but but Mick Jagger wouldn't have gone into the vagina. I don't think. I think Mick would have stopped it there. He just, I ain't doing this. I I got I got a weird begrudging res- or not begrudging but respect for Roger Daltrey watching this. You mm-hmm. know, once yeah. and a half times, is that oh he you know because in Tommy he's 
deaf, dumb. He's that deaf, dumb and blind kid, you know? And so Tommy, he's just kind of like, you know, you know, wandering around, bumping into walls and, and having to play like somebody who, who can't, you know, no, he's, he's working his ass off in this movie and he's, he has most of the screen time. And I love Roger Daltrey too. I, I don't, I don't, I think it might be more Ken Russell's direction than his acting that makes this not power. It's just there's there's no emotion to Ken Russell when he does these big musicals. Now that I've seen Tommy, this it's all flash, and he just he tries to have those emotional punches. For instance, the Charlie Chaplin scene where he's meeting his love and everything, and it shows their life and how they have kids. There's it just felt it just it's supposed to be this like they're so in love scene, and it just doesn't hit that way exactly yeah i think i was like i was sorry i i remember like watching that and being like well but if he's so in love i don't i just it didn't make sense it didn't make sense to me um yeah i i would i would say yeah me too i would say roger daltrey has kind of the charm of a davy jones in this movie Mm. just yeah (laughs) and and it's it's just kind of like this like cute little british man kind of thing instead of like a powerful leading rock star which is with cool six pack abs he's yeah his body's got the abs he was always showing off the abs back in the 60s and 70s it does need like oliver reed who is like who is ken russell's de niro scorsese you know he, it needs oliver reed to show up at some point to ground the movie a little more like it just need oliver reed needed to play some it, some villainous city official or or king or, <laughs> or monarch or something yeah it's a little over two hours but it does move by fast like it definitely weren't wasn't bored i was just like more like confused um yeah. which is fine and and this is so i would suggest for this movie don't go in expecting logic or a story. Just go in and let it wash over you. And it is like Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, which I I loved. I cried during Elvis. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, but if you know the references, it is more rewarding. And if you don't know the references, it's fine. But at least Baz Luhrmann's Elvis like was linear, and and you can see them aging, and you knew where you were in time and stuff. This one, time isn't a thing. Um, and let me talk about some other stuff I liked, and I loved Rick Wakeman as Frankenstein. I love the the. Uh, oh, he's Thor. He's Thor, and he he's Frankenstein. Thor. Well, there's there's Frank. There's the vampire. There's Frankenstein in this movie. Um, so there, you know, there, there's Dracula and there's Frankenstein and there's a, some other old universal movie, uh, reference in here too. But yeah, he's Thor because he's the Ubermensch. He's the perfect Aryan, uh, yeah. man, right. And it's so funny, Rick Wakeman as the Ubermensch, cause he is so not like the perfect ideal of the Aryan race. He is a messy British man. And so that was very funny. I laughed very, he's very good as the Ubermensch, but like all that crazy fucking, uh, Nazi shit at the end. Felena uh, with Wagner. Oh my God. It's crazy. It's crazy. It is the, crazy. The, the Aryan youth shit. It's it, but it doesn't necessarily like. I mean, all all my life, Wagner has been just like this controversial figure who's like he's. But he did great music, and it's it's important. This movie, Ken, good on Ken Russell for saying like, no, Wagner is the bad guy. He's a bad man. He was all about German superiority, and that's bad. 
And so that was that's a good line in the sand to draw. So I respect that. You know what I mean? I, I love that. You know, it is a scene with with the Jews kind of portrayed the Jews, not kind of but portrayed in this very stereotypical way. Oh, man, that was like, but was crazy. They're like, oh, no, where where <laughs> Roger Daltrey's running up to to them and going, can you tell me how to get to Wagner's castle? And they all just run away. <laughs> you know, like just the mention of it. Um, I went into a rabbit hole on on List and Wagner, um, just trying to piece together the 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 uh, narrative line of this movie, the narrative arc of this movie. And it's what's strange is how much stuff it's hitting. It's hitting a lot of very real stuff about List and Wagner. But yeah, in the psychedelia of it, it does it matter? And it's just overwhelmed by I all know. The so what like exactly. So what do, can you get from this, you know, learning why nothing, nothing. Yeah. But like, yeah, for instance, that opening scene um with List having a party and George Sand is there and, and Chopin is there and Strauss is there. That was a real party that happened where all those people met. Like that and Wagner came. Like that was a that's his, that's historically documented but you'd never know from watching this movie yeah. where it's just like it's just like a party scene man you know what i mean so i don't know it's it's it is a cool aspect about it and not because like people didn't have wikipedia back then to find out what the yeah. fuck this movie was about you know what like yeah, we're, luck, in, we're lucky we get to piece it together now you know it's all in ken russell's head and he made a movie about Mahler uh before this before he made which is which is a better movie than this and a better movie than tommy definitely uh but it still goes into there's all this stuff with Cosima, who's a character in in listomania who's list's daughter who marries uh wagner and uh Mahler has to go uh he has to renounce his judaism he has to he has to convert to to christianity to get some some uh some position conducting a symphony like in Vienna or somewhere or in, in Berlin. And, you know, but of course it's a Ken Russell movie baller. So, uh, Cosima Wagner is dressed in a Nazi SS uniform when all this is going on. And there's all this swastika imagery. He is really into sticking it to the Nazis. And he's, he decides in these fucking wigged out drug movies he made that the audience isn't going to understand subtlety. So he's really beating us over the head with this Nazis are bad thing. And he doesn't, he, he comes back to it in other films as well, but yeah, it's uh, he, he, uh, he kind of got thrown out of the BBC. He was directing, he was directing these arts documentaries for the BBC in black and white. And he was directing them as narrative films with crazy visuals, which was like, Whoa, what's this guy doing? Mm -hmm. uh but he got you know he did a documentary on strauss and it was like it just has strauss kind of partying down with hitler and stuff in it <laughs> like, this, this is not quite historically accurate you know it's like they still aired it so good on the bbc for airing well, it well god bless god bless ken russell who can't direct uh emotion for shit but really just puts it all out there visually <laughs> when he right. has oliver reed he does a lot better with the emotion i mean okay. he does you know his as the devils his his films with oliver reed are are better uh, this is this is like let's put a bunch of rock stars in and hope they can act and maybe paul nicholas can carry them because paul nicholas really gets over wagner in a way that yeah nobody he, else is really getting over he's anything, the real actor know? in this movie also um I'm sorry, I don't have the name in front of me, but the 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 woman in 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 Russia, 
that hires him to come over who he's having an affair with, who, who she plays like the devil he sells his soul to. She's amazing, too. Sarah Kestelman is Princess Carolyn. Thank you. She Princess Carolyn. That was she's a definite highlight of the movie. And Cosima, the oh. daughter, too. She's very, very good in this movie. Oh, and the part where where Princess Carolyn sings where Daltrey's big dick is about to go into the guillotine. Um, that's all that sounds like Diamanda Galas or something mm-hmm. for yeah. seconds there for yeah. That's the best scene in the movie. That that, that her, 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 her scene's incredible. Um, Honestly, yeah. But yeah, it's not a movie I'm going to go back to like Hedvig and sing along to and stuff. No, I will I will no. go back to like for some makeup inspiration and some costume inspiration. Though. <laughs> oh, you know I mean? definitely. It's yeah. and very, dick inspiration. Um, oh, yeah. Dick inspiration. Yeah. Dick inspiration. Yeah, this movie went way over budget and I think the, the, <laughs> the it went all it was all on the budget. giant dick, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dick budget. The the dicks in this movie sent this way over budget. Dick budget was the producer. um i smoked um apple fritter which is yeah it it was good um i forgot i wish i knew the brand oh cannabotanica we bought in bulk as we do um and it's it's good it's very it's pretty calming uh pretty high thc um and yeah it's 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 a good one to um to wake up in the morning and just like chill out and watch this insane watch listomania <laughs> baby watch listomania <laughs> so listomania was an actual term coined during his yeah. while he was alive and uh, it was the first time mania was used in in as a conjunction to be like describe what people were feeling about a, an artist like i don't think i think list you know really was the first rock star i mean jesus was the first rock star as we learned in jesus christ superstar but like actual music star like that people fan like really went cuckoo over i unless i don't like i don't think mozart or beethoven had the same kind of effect right Um, well list it's look i watched this very dry produced by uc san diego documentary on list i found on youtube that is just mostly uc san diego professors talking about his life and it was like i need to you know i didn't want to i had a book but it just was going to take me too long but anyway um there is a change in how music is funded and prevented presented at the time of list where list is playing the first kind of publicly open concerts where people pay admission. Like this is a shift. Ah, that's like huge. Beethoven, you know, he is, you know, he has a patron and the patron presents Beethoven to the public, but it's not really selling seats to, to people just walking up and buying tickets. It's like the friends of this count or the friends of this baron, or prince are are showing up to it so list becomes this he's like the first you know the first public figure as the first musician as a public figure as a or maybe a popular culture figure that's fascinating mm-hmm. that's fascinating so um, what do you get you get preteen and teenage girls he's got long hair if you look at pictures of him on wikipedia from 18 the 1840s he's kind of hot in this kind of long-haired white guy wait daltry's a good choice for that yeah but uh, yeah daltry can't really also he had a huge dick apparently no i'm just kidding um 
It uh, kept growing and growing and growing. <laughs> and then it got chopped off by a guillotine? No. Um, I, uh, I went in just, I went to the dispensary and I said, give me the highest T8 percentage THC you got. I'm going to watch Listomania. And the, disp- and the bud tender was like, you're going to watch what? But um, I said, don't worry about it. Just give me whatever you got. So I smoked this shit called Cookie Puss. This had a whopping 27% THC. This is a cross between cat piss and Girl Scout cookies. Big, tight, resinous buds of sweet and earthy aromas with notes of lime and pine that jump out of the bag and into your senses. Now, the thing about uh, Cookie Puss is that it's supposed to make you horny. And this was a very horny movie, so I thought it was a good match. It wasn't... It's again, Like I said, the sex stuff kind of ends up being juvenile in this movie rather than sexy or like... Um, profound but it's still sex so this is the horny uh weed it's called cookie puss find it at your local dispensary and once again it's time for the tiktok report with felina franklin um okay so i found I could not find anything about the movie. However, I found a lot on Listomania, the uh, the phenomena. <laughs> and um, the first thing I found was this joke video called... I don't know if you can see it, but it says, Motherfuckers, when this dropped in 1723... it's It's people going crazy it's headbanging it's people absolutely crazy and then also there's a sign that says fuck Fuck me me daddy Daddy. yeah (laughs) and i thought you know that felt very list and it's is it is it the hungarian Um, the hungarian rhapsody number two probably that's playing it's who knows (laughs) or uh Orpheus or hell i mean those are the songs rick wakeman those are the big hits and those are the big hits the list versions are better than the wakeman versions by the way just just by the way (laughs) um and then there's (laughs) there's also um this person um she went on to talk about um how listomania uh you know she just talked about listomania period um let me see were there any comments um (laughs) She said, oh, I forgot to mention that he was a piano player (laughs) in the video. Um, People would wear his face on brooches. Franz Liszt had merch. That's sick. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if some of that exists now to this day. I'd love to find some. I wonder. I bet you could find some Liszt merch. Yeah. Um, Well, his, his, um, his friend Hans, his daughter's boyfriend, who is like his assistant in this movie, is wearing a Franz Liszt shirt the whole time in in the beginning of the movie. And it looks, it looks like a Rolling Stones shirt or something. It's really funny. Women scooped his cigar butts out of the sewer, out of the gutter and wore them around their necks. Whoa. It's like Elvis's handkerchief. Yeah. Like they would, they would go crazy. They would steal his coffee grounds too, apparently um and like try and get locks of his hair they said that he was very attractive this person says that he looks like the chad meme (laughs) Um. (laughs) here keep holding that up please keep holding that up thank you yes but i just wanted to say that this woman read 33 33 out she read a hundred and sorry 
I have to find it. 150, 1,532 pages in 33 hours about, about Franz list. Look at, she annotated all of it. But this video has three likes. So she's doing this all for herself. Or Everyone look up hashtag Listomania and give her a like, will you? Yeah, everybody like this video from Don Dominique Royam because she good for her. Now I'm she, I, my mind is blown that there isn't much about the movie on it because this movie is very TikTokable. There's so much to look at. There's so many cool visuals and like if fucking Valerie and her week of wonders is on TikTok, then this one isn't. Then all that money, that big budget, did not go well for this movie's legacy. No, like, serious. <laughs> this is like a, I feel like this movie. Nobody on TikTok cares about it. At least it's That's just fucking weird, man. When I saw that it dropped on HBO Max at the same time as on the town did it was like you know it's like it's from the 70s we try to avoid the 70s but I'm like this thing will just disappear from streaming once HBO Max figures out all the dicks and tits that are in this movie it's it's going it's going away somewhere so I just like we gotta do it because I mean if we're doing a stoner movie podcast and we aren't ever talking about Ken Russell because I never want to talk about Tommy don't worry Corey we're never talking except for now in reference but yeah. um, like this movie's just gonna disappear into a black hole of prudery once once HBO Max goes what the hell are we showing here um i'll say the transfer on hbo max is absolutely beautiful it's not there's no digital fuckery it's right from the from a a print it's a little scratchy it feels like you're going to see it in a revival house and um and it's it's really a beautiful looking uh transfer they have on hbo max so see it for that reason if nothing listomania like on the town is available on hbo max so watch it while you can, because if Discovery CEO David Zosloff should ever see this thing, he's going to burn down TCM's headquarters. Hey, everybody. We now have a YouTube channel. Search for old movies for young stoners on Google or YouTube, and please subscribe. Once we get to 100 subscribers, we can name the damn thing and make it easier for people blazed out of their minds on Purple Nurple to find us. And don't just think of the stone people. Co-host Bob Calhoun spends hours dropping public domain trailers and videos into each episode to justify his existence so think of the stoners and think of bob and subscribe to old movies for young stoners on youtube today so that brings us to the end of our triumphant return from slacking off for the summer we'll be back in something resembling two weeks give or take with our superhero episode oh oh really Oh, oh man. man, what, what the, the fuck? fuck? Hey, don't worry, we're not reviewing Love and Thunder or Multitudes of Madness or The Eternals here. We're going back to the 60s, a magical era when everybody got way into superheroes for a year or two and then got the fuck over it. First, we've got the superhero as a metaphor for American imperialism and the war in Vietnam in Mr. Freedom, a French production with John Abbey as an empty-headed himbo in red, white, and blue football pads fighting the communist invasion of France and beating on lefty free thinkers. Plus, Rat Finkaboo-Boo, Ray Dennis Steckler's zero-budget Batman spoof wrapped in a gritty crime drama. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it on Old Movies for Young Stoner. Stoner.